0: Nehemiah chapter 5. This is God's holy and infallible word, Nehemiah chapter 5. We'll be reading together verses 1 through 13. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Also there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards." Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers, and said to them, You are exacting usury, each of you from his brother. Therefore I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers, who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers, that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent, and could not find a word to say. Again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give, ba- give it back and will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priests and took an oath from them and they would do, that they would do according to his promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house, and from his possessions, who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Let's pray. Help us, we pray, to learn from this, your holy word, how we might be those who fear you and walk in your fear who have mercy upon those in need and desperation. Lord, we pray that you would help us as well to be those who can humble ourselves and give restitution. Help us, we pray, for we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Today's text is very fitting for our time. Just as the people in Nehemiah's day were going through a great struggle, you could say a struggle of finances, of making ends meet, we have those who are struggling immensely with rising inflation and paying for their bills because of the, the, uh, the fact that just everything just continues to get more expensive, and they continue to get more expensive. Many folks were having a hard time making ends meet prior to, to 2021. And this year, things are getting much worse, and they're having even greater struggles. The bare necessities, such as rent, utilities, and groceries, are now all getting more expensive. I just saw this recently. Now, because of the heat wave, especially in Louisiana, people in our area, Lafayette and elsewhere, are having a great deal of a difficult time paying for the increased cost of cooling a house in this heat wave. That's piled on top of everything else that's going on. Now imagine someone who wants to then take advantage of someone who's struggling to pay their bills. Um, They're facing hard times, so what do they do? They go to a loan center, maybe like a place called a short-term loan center or a payday loan center. And they, they get out a loan that they're expecting to pay back within maybe two to three weeks. Come to find out they can't pay that either because they just don't have the funds for that. And then after their utilities get cut off, they can't pay back the loan I found out this from a a website. It was a a neutral website. It wasn't a a website against these places, these payday loans. But it says for loans, uh, these payday loan places, they have loans ranging from $100 to $1,000. And the average loan term is two weeks. The average APR, or um, that's yearly interest, annual interest rate for these loans are 400%. So in order to finance $100 you might have to pay $15 to $30 just to borrow $100. Now some states are not as bad but this is this is some average it says um, this is what goes on in some states. Now keep in mind that does not include late fees. That's if you pay it back on time you're paying $15 to $30 for just getting a $100 loan just to to pay off that utility bill so they can keep your lights on. People go to those places for desperation, yet they get abused. That's sort of reminiscent of what was going on here in the day of Nehemiah. Um, those um, who, fall, who fall into modern-day loan sharks, you could say, like these uh, loan places, short-term loan places, they were, taken, they were taken advantage of just as the people of Nehemiah's day were taken advantage of. So the main focus, again of this sermon will be to look at many ways and how these people were taken advantage of. But before we go there, we want to look at more of the context. Why was this book written in the first place? There were a group of Jews who had returned back to their promised land. They were living in Jerusalem. God had allowed them to go back to the promised land. And they were being taught by Ezra for a time. And uh, also prior to this, Haggai uh, was sent as a prophet he encouraged the people to rebuild the temple and this is before the days of Nehemiah however during this time Nehemiah while serving as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes who's not just a king but you could say an emperor of all of the Persian Empire Nehemiah hears a report of what's going on in Jerusalem the walls in many areas are destroyed and the gates are burned with fire So he grieves, he has a godly sorrow that motivates him to then approach the king after a period of prayer and fasting for days. The good hand of the Lord is upon Nehemiah that the king grants him permission to have leave for 12 years to go and help rebuild the wall. Now, unless you look at a chapter like what we have today, you might think that he is a man solely of one responsibility— He's the great rebuilder of the wall. But in fact, with the context of what's given here, he's more than that. He's a governor. He goes back to help rebuild the wall, but also to help out with, with the, going back and governing Jerusalem. As we just read in today's text, it wasn't just the walls and the gates that were broken down. The practice of the people and how they treated one another and the, the social ills, the terrible social ills, were like walls that were broken down that needed repair as well and we'll look at that a little bit uh, for a while in today's text our main focus in today's text is our calling to walk in the fear of the Lord our calling to walk in the fear of God we'll see this in two main points the plight and abuse of God's people and the fear of God um, also and making restitution so let's look at this first main point the plight and abuse of God's people Notice that there was a great outcry. What's the outcry? Jews abusing fellow brothers in the faith, brothers and sisters in the faith. Look at verse 1. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. What's the catalyst of all this abuse? You could say it was hard times, but it's, in fact, it says in verse 3 the catalyst for all this was a famine. Uh, the text doesn't tell us what the cause of the famine was, but in times of old in Jerusalem, oftentimes it was it was due to maybe not enough rain, it was due to uh, a blight or a fungus or some other disease of the crops. Another possibility was that if you look back at chapter four, verse eleven, it says, "Our enemies said," this is after they start building the wall. They were angry, the, the surrounding Gentiles. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, Our enemies said, They will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. So they had enemies, Gentiles in the surrounding lands, that said that we were going to come up and do a sneak attack and kill them, so that they would stop this work. And you can imagine if you're a farmer, and you're going out on your land, or maybe you have a vineyard and you're going to pick grapes, uh, you, you might be hindered in going out and getting your harvest out of fear you're going to get stabbed in the back by somebody who's seeking to stop the work of the Jews. So it, I'm sure that the, uh, having the, the safety issue on the outside of the wall hindered them bringing in crops from the surrounding fields, many of which existed outside the city. Um, they were in a bad way. And it was a real valid fear that many of them probably did not want to go out and harvest their crops. Um, Some of the Jews had to take out loans because they were in in desperation. It says in verses uh, 3 and 4, let's look there. We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax and uh, the tax on our field and on our vineyards. So not only did they have to pay to buy grain, which is probably more expensive at this point, for their families to feed their families, they were required to pay the taxes. And I'm pretty sure the the empire did not care well if you didn't pay your taxes. Um, Some people would probably have their properties taken away if they didn't pay those taxes. So therefore they were mortgaging their homes. Now that word mortgaging there in verse 3 could be translated as pledging. What they were doing was they were putting up their fields, their vineyards, their own homes as a pledge. If I don't pay back my loan, the pledge is you take my property. And uh, the lenders would take whatever was necessary to pay back those loans Sad thing is that if you had your, your vineyard or your fields taken, how were you going to make a living in growing your crops if you had those fields taken from you? So some had to go to a next most terrible step. Uh, the poorest people of God's, uh, people there, chosen people, noticed that they had to sell their own children, their own, sla- their own children, their own flesh and blood into slavery to pay their debts. Let's look at the middle of verse 5. We are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. We are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. At the end of that verse, it talks about the fields and vineyards belonging to the, those who loaned them the money. Because they couldn't make the payments. Therefore, they, their fields and their vineyards were taken. And the next step was they had to sell their children into slavery. Uh, now, according to leviticus twenty five thirty nine and following there is a permission allowable in the Old testament law for the selling of a person into something I would call indentured servitude let's look at that let's turn let's keep our place in nehemiah but let's turn to leviticus twenty five Leviticus 25, starting at verse 39. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him, and shall go back to his family that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. You shall not rule over him with severity, but you are to revere your God. So that's, the, char- that's the, the law that maybe some of these nobles and maybe these wealthy people were trying to enact. The poor actually weren't really that poor. They were landowners. They owned fields. They owned vineyards. Then those vineyards and fields were taken from them. And then they, they went from being, you could say, middle class to being in utter poverty. And then next thing you know, having to sell their children to pay back debt and to buy grain so they wouldn't starve. Can you imagine a worse situation than that? It's horrible. But in Nehemiah's day, I believe that they were not following this, what was given here in Leviticus 25, 39-43, those, in debt, those persons who were in debt were not treated as hired servants with rights, but they, the text says that they were treated as outright slaves. Um, God told those who owned slaves, according to the, uh, this passage in Leviticus 25, that they were not to rule over their brethren with severity. Now, they were allowed to have a day of jubilee to be released, on that, on that year of jubilee, sorry, not day of jubilee, but year of jubilee. But here, even in the Old Testament, there's no evidence that anyone can find that the Jews ever practiced a year of jubilee. They sometimes, you could say, some of them probably thought it was very convenient just to keep a slave for the rest of their lives. Even far, far after they paid their debt. Because we find no example in, in the Old Testament of them actually practicing, practicing this year of jubilee where not only slaves were freed, but debts were forgiven as well. So again, I would say people ought to pay their debts. People ought to pay their debts, yes. But verse 7, Nehemiah told the guilty nobles and the rulers that they were the ultimate source of this abuse. Look at what he says there in verse 7. He says, you are exacting usury, each from his brother. I like the, uh, the ESV translation a little bit better. It's more clear. This is literally what the text says. You are exacting interest, each from his brother. I was very surprised at this. I thought, I always thought that usury, like the modern usage of the word, meant abusive interest rates, high interest rates, kind of like the, the loan places, right? These, uh, these, APR, having to pay $15 to $30 just to borrow $100. That's astronomical. Crazy. But that's not what the text says. The accusation that Nehemiah gave against these men was that they charged any interest at all. Did you know that it was forbidden for a Jew to charge another brother in the faith interest? Have that... Word of God here In Deuteronomy 23.20 In your outline Interest as in a percentage fee For someone to pay In addition to the amount of the loan Was illegal according to Deuteronomy 23.20 Which says You may charge interest to a foreigner But to your countrymen You shall not charge interest So what's the definition of usury? Not just charging astronomical interest. According to this text, usury is charging any interest to your brothers in the Lord. Now, why do you feel like you have to make interest on these poor people? They're working their tails off and bringing in crops and tending to lands with fear of oppression and attack from the enemy. And some of them maybe can't work in their fields like they want to because they're up on the wall being mandated to help rebuild the wall. And they're struggling to pay back their debts. But what are you going to do? I'm going to charge them interest anyway. And that's the great sin according to Nehemiah and according to the Holy Spirit which was given unto Nehemiah. That was a sin against him. And that's why Nehemiah then takes action by calling together a great public assembly against them. Verse 7. Let's look next at the fear of God and the call to make restitution. You are called to fear God and make restitution. So first we see that Nehemiah held this big assembly and he charged those who were guilty with sin. Look at verse 6. Nehemiah had a righteous anger. He says, Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. What was the outcry? What were the words? The loss of homes, the lo- loss of properties, the loss of livelihoods, the loss of children, sons and daughters, as enslaved as sons. I mean, enslaved sons and daughters. Verse 7 Nehemiah contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. Nehemiah then goes on and he shames them. He shames those rulers who were enslaving their brethren. Look at verse 8. I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Here we have Nehemiah's arguments are so upright and logical they don't even have a word. They can't even say a thing. The only sound you can hear is the crickets. They were unrighteous, selfish, and abusive men and women who were called out to be ashamed. In like fashion, I think that's what a, a righteous ruler does. Nehemiah did this. He called them out for their shame. And that's what godly rulers today should do as well. They should call out those who are selfish, um, abusive, and uh, who are a public reason for shame. So after exposing their sin and shame, Nehemiah changed, uh, he moved on to challenging those guilty nobles and rulers. How did he challenge them? He challenged them to fear God. Look at verse 9. Again I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. You should not, should you not walk in the fear of God, because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies. Now, at first, I was not sure what, why would there be a reproach or a shame involved with the other nations around them? The word here again, reproach, is really outdated. Most people don't use that word any longer. Um, the ESV here gives us a better translation. He says this uh, in the ESV. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? The word taunt there is shame, shaming. It's the it's verbal form of to shame someone. To taunt someone is to shame someone. And that's what the nations around them were doing. You can imagine they were pointing the finger and saying, oh look, these are the the people of God. These are supposed to be the whole and chosen chosen people of God and look how they behave. Why would I want to follow the God of the Jews? Look at how they devour one another. You could see many taunts like that, right? That they were pointing the finger, the nations were pointing the finger because they saw what was going on and they knew how people were losing their properties because of slavery and because of uh, those who were lone um, th- who were having loans and being ruthless in, in charging interest and in, in that sort of thing. The only way for them to remove the taunts of the nations, to remove the taunts, the shaming, or what we call the reproach of the nations, was for them to remove that room for accusation. There would be no more room for accusation. And that was a very logical argument on Nehemiah's part. Nehemiah gave them a plan of action, how they should walk in the fear of the Lord. He told them how that they should make restitution. Look at verses uh, 10 and following, the, the end of verse 10. Please, let us leave off this usury. Please, give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses Also, the hundredth part of the money, of the grain, of the new wine, and the oil that you are exacting from them. The word restitution can mean to restore back to the proper owner what was taken in an unjust fashion. And these things were taken in an unjust fashion. Therefore, they were called to make restitution. They were to give back the properties that they wrongfully took from the poor. They were to give back the interest that they were wrongfully charged in the first place. Now, if you wrong someone, God wants you to go and to ask forgiveness, to apologize. But we should take it a step further. We ought to make restitution. If you've stolen something, if you've taken something that's not yours, yes, ask for forgiveness, but seek to return and to pay back what you stole. That's when repentance is truly there but sometimes restitution isn't material. What if you hurt someone's reputation by backbiting so against someone? Well, how do you make restitution there? You go to the third party that you talk to them about and you, and you set the record straight. And you tell, you tell that other person, you said I, I'm sorry for what I said about, about Fran. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. And... You know, you, you go to that other person and you, and you apologize for what you said to that other third party about that individual. Now, you could say if there's slander that causes someone to lose a job, then maybe you've got to pay a little money to, for compensation and restitution. Now, these people were, you could say that the Holy Spirit cut them to the heart, gave them a conviction of their sin, that they were willing to turn from their sin and repent and not only repent, but to go and pay back that restitution as a show of their true faithful repentance. But Nehemiah knew these folks, and he didn't quite trust that they were going to do what they should. So what did he do next? He had them take a promissory oath. Uh, Again, Nehemiah um, 5, verse 12. Nehemiah 5, verse 12 says, Then they said, We will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. That's that show of repentance. So I called the priests and took an oath from them that they should do according to this promise. Um, They were to take this oath. They were to make a promise before God and witnesses that they were going to keep this promise to pay back and to give back and to restore and to make restitution. But Nehemiah goes a step further. He proclaims a curse if they don't do what they promised to do. Verse 13, he, he utters a curse against them if they didn't keep this promise. I also shook out from the front of my garment and said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. One of my favorite parts in this whole text then is what did they do? They next worshipped God. Now for those who might be cynical and say, well, maybe this is just a superficial worship. Maybe it wasn't truly of the heart. Their worship was of the heart because what follows next is it says this beautiful thing, they kept their promise. They praised the Lord then the people did according to this promise. God loves it when we keep our promises, doesn't he? God loves it especially when we keep our promises, even when it requires a hard and difficult road to follow. Our calling, according to the word of God, is to walk in the fear of the Lord. Today's text, it tells us what that looks like. It's not just a superficial uh, repentance. It involves much more. If you have played the part in abusing any of God's people or abusing anyone in an unjust fashion, pray to God. Pray to God for repentance. As these brothers had repentance over what they did to the poor in the land. Nehemiah pleaded with them. He didn't just say, repent. He begged them. He said, please, leave off this sin. If there's something that you've done that you need to repent of, I beg of you, please, leave off your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance. Your sins to your fellow man, though, cannot be compared to the sins that we commit unto God Almighty. Yes, we sin against our family our loved ones, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors. God calls us to put Him first. And oftentimes we've put so many other things first rather than Him. God has given us many wonderful things to enjoy. But if what we enjoy gets in the way of our worship with God, then it can become an idol. I plead with you, leave off those sins repent and be reconciled with God. You and I have also broken many promissory oaths we've made promissory oaths and vows we've made oaths in marriage that we've often broken we've made oaths in church membership that we've often broken. One of the oaths number 5 in church membership is we are we promise we swear to God before witnesses, do you promise to participate faithfully in this church's worship and service? Like the sins of Nehemiah's day, God calls each of you to fear him, to fear him and to make an effort to make restitution, make it right with those that you've sinned against. against. The fear of God is what you need but how do you make restitution when you sin against God Almighty? What can you give back to God in payment for restitution? The wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. What other payment can we give? The blessed news of the gospel is that we are called to embrace Jesus Christ who's already paid that restitution for us. He's paid the debt. He's made the payment. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free offer of the gospel is through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has perfectly fulfilled the law, who has perfectly paid for our debt of sin, who has obeyed the law perfectly for us. Embrace Jesus Christ by faith and ask Him for His grace to turn away from sin and to exercise new obedience. Let's pray together. We ask our beloved Lord that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the many ways that we've broken our promises. Forgive us of the many ways that we've transgressed your holy law. We know that if it's dependent upon us that our debt of sin deserves even death, not only death and and this life but eternal death and dying and even for eternity. But we do thank you for the blessed holy gospel that Jesus Christ has paid the debt of our sin, that which we could not pay back. The restitution that we could not make, Jesus has paid it all. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to embrace him, to trust in Jesus Christ, that we would love him, that we would grow in new obedience to love our brethren, our brothers and sisters in our midst, to seek to show compassion and love and mercy to those uh, whom you have given us as brothers and sisters in this holy faith. Lord, help us, we pray, for we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.